Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone. It is Thursday night, August 19th, and we are live here. This is College Football Unfiltered on the Believe Podcast Network and on the 365 Sports Network. Let's go. This episode is the Big 12 and SEC preview show. We're excited about it. We're going to be talking about some key things to look for week one. We're going to talk about best matchups, highs and favorites. And we're going to rank the teams and see who can really come out on top this year and who might still need some time to really make some damage in their conference. Absolutely. So right off the bat, guys, with the Big 12 and the SEC, there's been so many offseason kind of a confluence of these two conferences that have come together. So many offseason storylines with Texas and Oklahoma getting ready to jump ship and go to the to the SEC. Of course, there is always the playoff implications that are considered here. It seems like Oklahoma seems to be a mainstay in the playoffs now. Can anyone else in the Big 12 uh, while the Big 12 still exists, try to climb up into that race. We'll get to all that. And then, of course, the SEC, the the best conference in the world and maybe even the best division in all of college sports and not just college sports, pro sports as well with the SEC West. We'll break all that down. But, guys, is there anything that just sticks out to you as we begin to preview 2021 in the Big 12 and the SEC? I personally was getting excited just thinking about how things are going to look once Oklahoma and Texas do come over to the SEC. But this is my warning to the Big 12. You have about, what, four years to get ready for Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, and all these powerhouse teams. So when they get here, there's no excuses. You've got plenty of time to get ready to play with the big dogs. Yeah, yeah. All this, the big dog talks of the SEC. I, you know, I'm excited to dive deep in, but I'm also excited to pick them apart a little bit. I think there's a lot of... Uh, how should I put it? Overrated teams in the SEC. Um, not to say they're not the best. I get it. But, you know, I'm excited. Every year. To do a little bit. Yeah, every year. <laughs> hey, Donovan Donovan is the resident, you know, not only Maction as a former former uh, Miami player, but also Ohio State fan up there. You know, he's repping the Big, the big Ten as well. So the, the Big Ohio Ten State is there. Yeah, okay. <laughs> the, the, the preposition, all that stuff in there. So we're not going to worry about the Ohio State and Big Ten today. It's all about the Big 12 and the SEC. And we have a absolute great feature interview for you with a college football expert. There's no other way to put it. Brett Ciancia, Pick 6 Previews, that publication – uh, that he puts out via PDF that you'd be able to buy online, and he'll tell you all the information there. It covers all of the Power Five teams and does so in-depth. Brett was uh, a guy that is a college football junkie and wanted to get more in-depth information on each one, and he was so gracious to earlier than we record this interview that I'm about to play for you um, with me on the Big 12 and the SEC. And we didn't just touch on the normal things of who's going to win the Big 12 – who's going to win the SEC, because those favorites are kind of out there. I talked to him specifically about who's in that next tier and who are maybe some of the surprise teams and the best players on those teams. So we hope you enjoy this interview with Brett Ciancia of Pick 6 Previews here on College Football Unfiltered. And now on CFB Unfiltered, we have the feature interview that we promised you with Brett Ciancia of Pick 6 Previews. Brett puts out, this is his 10th annual edition of Pick 6 Previews, and it has been graded for the last nine years as the most accurate uh, prediction, the most accurate analysis magazine publication out there. And so thankful that Brett has some time to join us. Brett. Appreciate you coming on CFB Unfiltered. 
Yeah, Blaine, appreciate you having me on. Uh, it's a pleasure to be on with you guys. And, uh, yeah, it's the best time of year. Um, I've been hunkering down for the last seven months writing this thing, but once we make it to August and the, the book goes live, uh, I, I love hopping around to, to shows and podcasts across the country and excited to break it down with you guys. And if you're watching on the YouTube feed and not on the podcast feed, you can see, make sure you're following Brett as uh, thousands already do, tens of thousands already do, Pick 6 Previews, at Pick 6 Previews on Twitter. But Brett, we're getting right into it here with, we're doing a Big 12 and SEC preview show. We're going to start with the Big 12 right here. And everybody kind of knows about Spencer Rattler and Lincoln Riley in Oklahoma and expected to just pick up right where they've kind of left off here recently with a just high-powered offense. However, I want to talk about some of the second-tier teams. And even uh, Iowa State, everybody, I think, expects to be good under Matt Campbell. They're kind of one and two. But TCU and Texas, uh, some under-the-radar type teams maybe, just wanted to get your opinion on out of those two, who has maybe the highest ceiling and could, could get themselves in the conversation to be in the top two in the Big 12 before it's all said and done? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's a very crowded Big 12 at the top this year. A lot of solid candidates for that top two spots uh, in Dallas. And Yeah, I agree with you. It's Oklahoma, number one. I have them in my playoff bracket. And number two, Iowa State. Just so much talent coming back from a pretty proven roster from last year. So the number three spot, I actually have TCU. And, um, you know, the, the AP poll and coaches poll just came out earlier this week, and TCU's unranked in both of them. I have them ninth nationally. So there's a pretty big discrepancy between my poll and uh, what came out uh, this week. So why am I so high on TCU? Well, when you think of their program, they're what I like to call a developmental program. They go in cycles. Uh, Gary Patterson and his staff are excellent in player development, taking three-star guys and what's now become four-star guys and turning them into pros and all-conference players and wins on the field. So as a developmental program, they go through cycles. So when they're younger and newer starters, they struggle a little bit, lose some coin flip games. But when they become veteran, like they are this time around, they can contend for conference titles. And when you break it down position group by position group, there's a lot to like. Um, you know, at receiver, uh, that, that, that stable they have right now is their deepest they've had since that 2014 team that surged all the way to the Sugar Bowl. And, you know, if you talk to Horn Frogs fans uh, or Big 12 fans, they say should have been in that playoff in 2014. So, uh, you know, uh, Quentin Johnson on the outside is an All-American caliber player. Tay Barber and J.D. Spielman in the slot. Spielman, if you remember him, his name, he was the third all-time receiver at Nebraska that transferred down. Uh, five-star running back and Zach Evans. An offensive line is veteran. And uh, and the kind of the key part to of the offense is Max Duggan. And this is a quarterback that took over in 2019 as a freshman, a true freshman, got thrown in there, uh, struggled a little bit, you know, had a typical freshman year. He was crushed by those NFL draft analysts who were looking at Jalen Rager's tapes and were really giving, uh, giving Duggan a hard time. I'm a Duggan defender. I think he's got a cannon for an arm. He's one of the fastest players on the field as a runner. Um, so I think that uh, in his third season as a starter, he's going to take a pretty big step forward. And, um, you know, the defense speaks for itself, given Gary Patterson's track record there, his unique 4-2-5 uh, match zone or match reading defense. Um, you know, in the Big 12, an offensive league, they needed a way to combat all that. So, you know, defensive guru right there. And, you know, it's a crowded secondary, a deep defensive line. There's really a lot to like with TCU. Touching on Gary Patterson real quick in terms of – his coaching style, and now having a trusted quarterback. I know that Georgia is way more talented over in the SEC, but are there some parallels you see there to, okay, a defensive head coach now has a quarterback that he can firmly trust and maybe he's going to open things up a little bit more? Is there is there kind of some similarities there, not on a talent aspect, but in terms of their team uh, narrative and kind of functioning, how they're going to go into 2021? Yeah, I can see where you're coming from with that because, um, you know, the storyline with Georgia the last, uh, you know, decade or so has been defense first. Uh, under Kirby Smart and Dan Lanning, they always are turning out top five, top three defenses, uh, but haven't had the offense to match until last November, that is. But uh, similar with TCU, they're defense first. They have been uh, most of their time in the Big 12. I know some of those 2014 and 15 teams, they started airing the ball out a lot, um, but really struggled on offense uh, the last handful of years under Sonny Cumbie, their, their newer offensive coordinator. Now Cumbie's gone. He's back to Texas Tech as alma mater. So you have a little bit of a shakeup schematically. 
Uh, we'll see if that plays to the advantages in the roster talents. But, yes, I agree on a program level. Um, it's interesting because I run a, uh, a per-play and opponent-adjusted percentile. I know that sounds really boring, but basically a way to get a number on each offense and defense from every Power 5 team. And if you look at the 10-year averages, the most defense-first program, so when you look in defense-first offense, the most defense-first, Georgia's in there and TCU are in there. So uh, you picked out two similar profiles for sure. Now, with Texas, before we move over to the SEC, because like I said, we, we're going to focus more on these up-and-coming type teams. Um, with Steve Sarkeesian coming aboard, is it just a matter of how high Texas's ceiling is really matches the aptitude of either um, Casey Thompson or Hudson Card, whoever ends up winning that quarterback battle, looks early on like Casey Thompson. Also, hearing some good things, reports out of Texas camp out of Hudson card and some scrimmages and things, but does it kind of depend on the aptitude and just being able to maybe even perform like a guy from Florida last year and Kyle Trask who played even above his ability. It seemed like at times, is that kind of the scenario for Texas to maybe really become a contender in the big 12 this year? Uh, well, it's interesting. I think the Kyle Trask comparison might be a little different. Uh, Trask was a, a, a pretty uh, seasoned veteran there at Florida a couple years as a backup and he started most of that 2019 season I think he took over in week three when there were a couple injuries to Felipe Franks and the other backup uh, so he got he had almost a whole season of experience heading into his record setting 2020 so for these two um, you know uh, it's inexperience I mean yeah it's a battle right now in, in camp I think Hudson Card has the advantage right now Casey Thompson, we saw for about a half of the bowl game. And, yeah, he looked great, but it's just a half of one game. So uh, definitely unproven. Uh, and, and from a program that relied so much on Sam Ellinger, I mean, he, he did so much, not only in the pass game, it was like 95 touchdowns passing, 11,000 pass yards. But on the ground, he shouldered 550 carries, roughly 12 a game. Um, you know, that's, that's the size of, like, a leading running back. So, yeah, he, he did so much for that program. I think there will be a transition there. Uh, there is a decent offensive line in front of him. Um, you know, it's very veteran there, and they had good run push last year and pretty good pass pro. So uh, we'll see. Now, Sarkeesian-wise, he's great with X's and O's. I mean, you saw it. I know that he had the best talent in America at Alabama, but some of those touchdowns were scored before the play was snapped. I mean, in that national title game, the pre-snap motion he was using with Devontae Smith, getting him into favorable matchups, I mean, they were scoring before the ball was snapped. You could just visually see it happening. So um, now it's a, it's a matter of how quickly he can install all that and, and get this uh, young quarterback up to speed and, um, and get that defense going too. So, yeah, I think somewhat of a transition, but still good enough for me to finish fourth in the conference. And now transitioning over towards the Southeastern Conference, uh, your favorites over there, you got Alabama winning the West. That talent kind of speaks for itself, even though they're – replacing so much talent from the year prior and Alabama replaces a ton every year, but just the amount of NFL time, I think it was uh, 11, 10, 10 NFL draft picks, uh, several in the first round alone, first two rounds. So it was uh, just an unbelievable output by Alabama. And then of course, Georgia, you actually have Georgia as the favorite to win the SEC with kind of JT Daniels solidifying things for that offense. But I did want to see, you know, is it a team like a Florida with Emory Jones or now Will Levis having the quarterback job that looks to be on lock over there at Kentucky. We'll start with the East first. Are those two teams, how can that kind of play out in the East as far as the team that can challenge Georgia the most? Yeah, so those are the two contenders. Uh, I, I went with Florida number two in the East and Kentucky third. Um, and quarterbacks might be questions for both programs, but – Really, their, their strengths, uh, their roster strengths are at different spots, uh, both programs. I mean, and they're distinctly different, too. I'll start with Florida. You know, they're great recruiters. They average in the top 10, top, number eight in the last five years. So there's five stars galore, especially on defense. And this is usually one of those defense-first programs, too. But they took a rare step back last year, uh, under uh, third year under Todd Grantham. Now, all that young talent's back. It's five stars along the defensive line. Um, it's a secondary that's you know, somewhat improving. I mean, it can't get worse from that past defense output. And uh, I do trust Grantham. He's got a long track record uh, with Dan Mullen, not only at Florida, but before that at Mississippi State and Louisville some seasons. So I think he bounces back from a mulligan year defensively. So there's star power on that side of the ball. Offensively, they go through quite a transition. Now it's uh, 
know, a Heisman candidate with Kyle Trask gone, but these two playmaker receivers, um, Kadarius Toney, the do-it-all X-factor from the slot, and, of course, Kyle Pitts, the first tight end to finish in the Heisman's top 10 since the 70s. So uh, just incredible production. All three of those guys are gone. Now, if there's anyone to do it, it is Dan Mullen. He's been incredible with quarterback development. This is going all the way back to 2004 Utah when he did it with Alex Smith there. Um, of course, he managed the duo of quarterbacks, Chris Leak and Tim Tebow, on that national title team in Florida. He did it with Nick Fitzgerald and Dak Prescott at Mississippi State. And, of course, Trask again. So, um, yeah, with Emory Jones, it might be a return back to the old offensive style that he liked to run, where it's quarterback run, um, some wildcat stuff. So, uh, it, it's going to look a lot different than the pass first um, and pass second, really. Uh, last year, it was all passing for Florida. So. Uh, but overall, just a ton of talent, and I, I do like both coaches, so I think they'll be fine. Uh, third place, I have Kentucky. Now, this is kind of the, the inverse. They are not the best recruiters, um, you know, maybe top 25 some seasons, but sadly, in the SEC's footprint, that's you know, near the bottom of the barrel uh, in, a, in such a tight recruiting conference. So, what they do, though, is that they have all those buzzwords you hear about, and some people don't like to hear, but it's true with this program, you know, fit and culture and team and, you know, all those buzzwords. But uh, they, they certainly have a program identity. It's hard-nosed. It's always strong offensive lines, and that holds true again. There's multiple All-American candidates up front. They landed uh, Darry Rosenthal from LSU. He's another All-American candidate. Uh, so it's going to be a power-running attack. It's strong offensive lines. And it's a, a tough defense, too. And most of that's back. Now, the, the thing you mentioned there, the quarterback, Will Levis, a transfer in from Penn State, the key to unlocking Kentucky to becoming a top 25 team is can they get anything at all out of the pass game? And I, I say that. It's not to, to make fun. Literally, they had zero passing uh, in 2019 when they put a receiver at quarterback, Lynn Bowden, you know, one of the best individual performances I've ever seen. The guy, they literally just ran, a, you know, like a middle school wildcat offense, and it was unstoppable. So, if they can get any, any threat in the air at all, uh, it's going to open up running lanes for that duo of Chris Rodriguez and Cavassier Smoke, one of the best duos in America. So uh, we'll see how it turns out. Um, if you're unfamiliar with Levis, he's from Penn State, uh, up in my footprint up here in the you know Big Ten country. But um, he didn't get too much playing time. He played a little bit against Ohio State in 19 uh, in, in backup duty. And you know he was better on the ground than in the air. He's a physical runner. Had, took a ton of carries there. So uh, we'll see how that fits in. Another team that I would almost put really close now transitioning into the West, Brett, uh, with kind of Alabama in terms of talent-wise is Texas A&M. Jimbo Fisher is really starting to get the recruiting rolling there in College Station. And I think with uh, some of the business footprint there with oil money and things like that and the NIL coming into feature, Texas A&M's recruiting is only going to get better and improve. I think they're – their point is, can Hayes King be good enough to kind of propel that offense and kind of replace somewhat what Kellerman left? But I think everybody expects them to be competitive. But really, Brett, the three teams I wanted to talk about that I view kind of in the same tier, even though LSU is two years removed from a national championship, you have LSU, Ole Miss, and uh, Arkansas that are right there. I know LSU, you got ranked up really high, but Ole Miss and Arkansas – are teams that, that you're high on as well. Yeah, well, the SEC West is the best division of football this year. Again, um, all seven teams made my national top 40. So that gives you an idea of how crowded it is. Uh, real quickly with A&M, I'm on Texas radio every week, and I made this analogy a bunch over there that uh, if college football programs were stocks, I, I'd be investing in A&M. I mean, this program's on the rise quickly. Uh, you already hit on the money they have, but they have the geographic footprint in the hotbed of Texas recruiting. Um, you know, Jimbo Fisher bringing in top five classes as a proven offense, excellent coordinator, Mike Elko. So, yeah, they're, they're really a quarterback away. But, yeah, it, it's crowded. Like I said, LSU, I have number 11 nationally. That's only good for third in the West. When you look at LSU, it was an all-time transition season. Uh, you know, everything clicked perfectly in 2019, and all that left Baton Rouge for 2020. And that coupled with maybe a poor coordinator hire here and there and uh, an offseason that canceled out spring ball and a lot of the, the summer, so you couldn't install anything. Uh, it, and it was super young as a roster, so it was a disaster. Now, with that said, though, it's all back. All that young talent that played ahead of schedule is all experienced and veteran for 2021. They made more coordinator tweaks, which I think these will do better for the full season, a full offseason, that is. And um, when you look position group by position group, they're loaded. I mean, this is a five-star 
uh, top five recruiting program. So they're poised for a huge, huge comeback season. I hope you got your jokes in on LSU last year because they're coming back quickly. Uh, and then from there, these are two programs that, like TCU, were unranked in the AP and coaches polls, but I have them ranked uh, in Ole Miss and Arkansas. First with Ole Miss, um, going through their second year under Lane Kiffin. This is an offense where uh, it's one of the best in the country schematically, the way he tags every play pre-snap with a run option and a pass option, uh, RPO, and he hits on them. They hit on them. Matt Corral is incredible. Uh, he's top three in QB rating returning this year. It's a great duo running back with Jerry and Ely and Snoop Connor, and they always pump out receivers at Ole Miss. You see them all playing on Sundays, and I'm sure there's more in the pipeline coming up. Braylon Sanders, one of them. Um, so that offense is going to be scoring a ton. What brings them from just an offense to a top 25 team in my eyes is, uh, you know, nine starters back on defense, and they made some improvements where they needed it most. They added the number one junior college defensive tackle and the number two JUCO D tackle. So, uh, you know, adding adding some strength there in the middle of the defense, I think they make a major uh, step forward. And quickly last with Arkansas, also a second-year bonus under Sam Pittman. This was a hire that was laughed at nationally by all the, the blue checks there on Twitter. And uh, I like to wait a year or two, see how they can build a staff, see how they can recruit. And so far, Sam Pittman, to his credit, has been perfect. Um, you know, he hired Barry Odom on defense, Kendall Bryles on offense. So far, so good. Now, the 3-7 and seven record might not jump off the page to you from last year. That might, you know, look pretty weak. But when you look at two specific games, those game results should have been flipped. The Auburn game, uh, it was one of the last plays of the game. Bo Nix spiked the ball backwards. Should have been a fumble. <laughs> and that, that flipped the whole game result right there. The SEC refs admitted it. And then the next week or a couple weeks later against LSU, there was a botched targeting call that flipped the game result. So it's really, in my eyes, a 5-5 five and five team and trending towards uh, a winning record this year with 20 starters back, very veteran, and a second-year bonus on both sides of the ball. And, Brett, lastly, you know, I did want to circle back, kind of it fits in with both of these, because in your final four predictions, you have Oklahoma as the number one seed and Georgia as the two seed, both as their respective conference champions. So we're here talking about the Big 12, talking about the SEC, and you have Oklahoma and Georgia as the top two seeds going in to the final four. Is this mostly about – the just overall way that Oklahoma and Georgia have have recruited, plus the solidification of the quarterback position there with JT Daniels and Spencer Rattler, how good they are. Um, I know it's a it's a quarterback factory over there at Oklahoma, but just give everybody out there some uh, reasoning why you're so high on the Sooners and the Bulldogs this year. Yeah, well, Oklahoma versus Georgia, that's, you know, at this rate, that's going to be a, a mid-October game in the SEC footprint uh, a couple years from now. But, uh, but yeah, so both these teams, uh, they're, they're loaded for playoff runs. Um, it's more than just the recruiting. It's really all-encompassing. Every angle you look at these programs, uh, recruiting, their coordinators, their styles of play, uh, their experience, their veteran starters coming back, all-American talent coming back. Uh, so, And then also the transfer portal. These were two of the biggest winners from that. Unfortunately, as we record here mid-August, uh, Georgia just announced a couple injuries to those transfers I had mentioned, the Tyke Smith and uh, I think Eric Gilbertwell. So, so, yeah, but still, when you break it down, um, what it is with these two programs specifically is they have long track records of one, on one side of the ball, Oklahoma with their offense, Georgia with their defense. But what makes 2021 special for both is now they have the other sides of the ball ready for uh, you know, a championship run. First, Oklahoma. Uh, always have the offense. They always have Heisman candidates and some of the best yards per play every year. But now a 10 starters back on defense. They were quietly a top 25 D last year out of nowhere. It's uh, the third year under Alex Grinch. He runs what he calls his speed defense. Uh, speed D meaning it's smaller guys, quicker guys trading uh, you know size for speed. So I, I like what they're doing there, and it's a complete team. And then with Georgia – the offense used to be stuck in the mud. It used to look like 1980 on offense. And, and that was good for winning nine or 10 games a year. I mean, that was, it's been a, a solid top 10 program for a while now, but I think really to unlock that true five-star talent they have on the roster, it was necessary to modernize. And you saw LSU do this too uh, in 2019, bringing in Joe Brady. And they started throwing the ball all over the place. Alabama did the same uh, with Lane Kiffin about 2016, I'd say. So I think George is following suit bringing in Todd Monken, this Big 12 passing attack. It's, uh, it's vertical shots, and it's really going to play to the advantages they have uh, athletically on the outside. 
all it took for me was finding an arm uh, because the first couple weeks it, it wasn't there. Uh, Dewan Mathis didn't fit the scheme, and uh, Stetson Bennett had kind of a, a talent ceiling. He wasn't the you know the, the five-star caliber that was brought with JT Daniels, who uh, was a, a freshman starter at USC. And once he took over at Georgia after that bye week, Georgia played excellent offense. And I know that you'll get critics saying, oh, look who they played those four games. But my, my numbers, even um, they adjust for the opponent's strength and the opponent averages, and it was still incredible. So long story short, both these teams now have uh, – they fixed their flaws on the other sides of the ball, and they're complete teams and uh, should be making playoff runs. Great insight there from Brett Siancia of Pick 6 Previews. Brett, before we let you go, let everybody know – where they can find the latest preview magazine and publication, the, the PDFs, all that kind of stuff that they can get from Pick 6 Previews. Yeah, thanks so much again for having me. And uh, it's pick6previews.com. It's a digital instant download. It's just like the preview magazines you see on newsstands, but it's a one-man show. I do all 66 Power 5 teams. Uh, it's just me. I'm watching spring games and game tape and running my numbers, calling head coaches, calling coordinators. And, uh, and writing and editing this thing. So uh, it's up there on the website, pick6previews.com. A couple sample pages, a couple testimonials in there too. Uh, one from ESPN's Chris Balica, uh, big testimonial there. And, uh, and follow us on Twitter, at pick6previews. So uh, thanks again, Blaine, for having me, and uh, best of luck this fall with the show. Thank you so much. That's Brett Siancia of Pick 6 Previews here on CFB Unfiltered. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely great interview with Brett right there. I mean, the the depth that he knows with college football, right, especially the Power Five, is just insane. And so, you know, talking about some of the stuff he got into, you know, the the system changes, right, the player turnovers, the player maturity, we're going to get right into that with some college football playoff talk. Uh, playoffs? Don't talk about it. Playoffs? You kidding me? Playoffs? Yeah, and so I think going in right there, right away, you know, he mentioned with, we'll start with the SEC, I think. He mentioned a team like Florida, right? You know, the roster is still loaded with five-star talent, right? And the defense, right, the, the, the defense, you know, output, is it going to match the talent that's there? What are you guys' take on Florida, you know, as a team going into, going into this year? The thing I want to see that he really talked about was, you know, you have Kyle Trask at quarterback last year. Now you have Emory Jones, and it's a completely different system. Like, how smooth is that trans, you know, transition to that run heavy as a quarterback kind of offense? That's what I'm looking for. Yeah, they have a lot of guys coming in, but can Dan Mullen, you know, catch up the offense quick enough to get things rolling? Because as you know, in the SEC, it starts week one, and you have to hit the ground running. You can't make any mistakes. So I want to see what Emory Jones does to take that next leap. We'll talk about a lot of quarterbacks in the SEC and Big 12 that need to take that next step up. And Emory Jones is definitely one of them. And if he does, they can do a lot of damage. If if you look at the track records of Alabama, the quarterbacks they lose to in the past, it's quarterbacks that can run, that can fake you out, and do a lot with their offense. Yeah, Emory Jones is a guy that I'm not 100% sold on. There's some people, you know, PFF and other people out there predicting him to be a first-round draft pick next year. How about, <laughs> let, how about let's see a guy – you know, control an entire game. There's been moments where Emory Jones has come in and looked great. There's also been moments where he's come in and Dan Mullen has put on his Gus Malzahn hat and tried to run a, a crazy trick play and really put Emory Jones in a bad situation. So to be fair to Emory Jones, we really need to see him in a full game setting and see him be able to get, control this offense. But if they think that he's going to come in and throw with the, the accuracy and the ability to, you know, anticipate throws and things like that that Kyle Trask was doing last year, then Florida's fans are, you know, fooling themselves on that one. Plus, also, I don't think that people realize, and I think they will this year when they see the output of Kyle Pitts and Kadarius Toney in the NFL, because I think both of those guys are going to be great in the NFL, great, uh, great prospects, you know, heading into the National Football League. And when you lose that much production, as Brett said, Kyle Pitts finished in the top 10 in Heisman voting as a tight end. That just doesn't happen, guys. So uh, Florida is still a lot to prove. But speaking of that, let's throw this graphic up on the screen real quick. This is something that we came up with all together, uh, kind of the tiers here of 
the college football landscape in the SEC. Donovan, uh, kind of break those down for everybody, you know, as we went through our thought process. Yeah, going through, we'll start at the bottom. I mean, tier four, I mean, yikes, is pretty self-explanatory. They're the bottom feeders, right? Vanderbilt and South Carolina, there's not a lot of potential from them, right? Tier three is a proved me wrong tier. And I think, you know, maybe we disagree with some of those, but those are some of the teams that, you know, maybe there's some hype going with them. Maybe there's not, but, you know, it's time for them to prove us, prove me wrong, right, in terms of their potential for the season. Uh, tier two, you know, there's some exciting teams there, but, you know, it's more the enjoy your bowl game tier, right? Enjoy the, the December 29th bowl game that, you know, is clustered in between four others, right? And then, of course, tier one is the kingpins, right? The playoff contenders and the ones who really have the best chance uh, or guarantee chance to run the SEC. Yeah, and I had Brett focus on, and I'll throw it up one more time here for the people on YouTube. I had Brett kind of focus on that tier two, the enjoy your bowl game type tier to see who could be the challengers. Because I knew that we were going to talk a lot about the kingpins, about the guys up top, right? And I think that the most intriguing thing for me is Georgia has more depth and more talent than they've ever had at the, at you know, including the quarterback piece now under Kirby Smart and maybe maybe in me recent memory. So there's absolutely no excuses for Georgia at this point. And I think that's why Brett picked them to be not only the SEC champion eventually, but he picked them to be number two going into the college football playoff. For people that don't know, by the way, if you haven't seen the season preview on Pick 6 Previews, I highly recommend it. It's a great $18 that you're going to spend to get that preview. He predicts Oklahoma as one, Georgia is two, uh, Ohio State three, and North Carolina four. But, Josh, mm. uh, you're a resident Alabama guy here. so uh, That one you, hurts. Do you take <laughs> umbrage with what Brett said about your Crimson Tide? You know, I just I, – I go back and I think about all the, the great Georgia-Alabama matchups, and I just don't see it happening. You know, I, I agree with you. You all have the depth and everything. And like you said, Alabama's always reloading. Like, can they produce right away? And it happens every year. Like, I hate to say it, but it happens every single year. And it, ha it helps when we have this kind of defense coming back. I'd say the best defense in college football, top to bottom, especially as a whole unit. You look at the linebacker core like I talked about last week, loaded. Then you add one of the best transfers you can get out there from uh, Tennessee, Henry Toto. They have him as a uh, captain calling plays on defense now. And then you have that secondary. It's just – I'm excited to see that matchup. But I kind of want to swing it out. I want to talk about Texas A&M because we have them as a tier two, but I think they can be that sneaky team that is that tier one. I'm not going to lie. They make me nervous. You know, you talk about Jimbo Fisher and how he's doing his recruiting and everything, and he's confident. We hear it all the time. But I think Texas A&M does need some respect. Now, of course, like you said, the big question is, can Haynes King come in right away to the gauntlet and handle it, or does he, you know, kind of falter and then it's up to Zach? I don't know. Haynes, he had he played a few steps last year. It wasn't much, though. But Isaiah Spiller, when you have a rushing attack like that, over 1,000 yards last year coming back, then you have one of the top tight ends with Jalen uh, Weidermeyer coming in, too. I feel like that really helps your quarterback. You have these reliable weapons. So I want to see if they can really reload. Now I want to talk about the recruiting-wise. Blaine, do you think they have enough guys coming in this year to really excel them to that kingpin status or no? Well, with Texas A&M, they've really been trying to, uh, you know, trying to turn the corner on the on the recruiting output, and and they're they're getting close to being up there now in the perennially, you know, in that in that upper tier. When and when you're in the upper tier in the SEC, that puts you firmly inside the top ten in the country in recruiting. Oh, yeah. In fact, I uh, for another show I had recently, I can throw this up there. I had recruiting trends. And you can see right now on the rivals rankings, A&M is currently in this recruiting class, the 2022 class ranked 10th, Alabama 9th, uh, Georgia is was up at 6th. That was before Jake Pope committed to Alabama, a safety from Georgia. But in terms of this recruiting class, I think that Texas A&M did what they needed to do by keeping a lot of homegrown talent there. But the, the main thing with Texas A&M is they quite possibly have – the two best running backs in the country when you're talking about Spiller and Anaya Smith. And I think one of the bigger matchup problems for Alabama is going to be if Jimbo Fisher is able to find a way to go split back, you know, gun, he likes to do a lot of two back sets, uh, even like some, some Drew Brees, New Orleans Saints, Sean Payton type, type stuff there. And they have a player in Anaya Smith 
that is different. I mean, DJ Shock, we talked about him last week in our in our debut episode. Anaya Smith is a guy that, let's say they start him off in the backfield. Well, now Henry Toto is in the box covering him, right? And one weakness of Henry Toto is that he is not a great coverage linebacker. Georgia exposed him last year in that with, with James Cook, with Kenny McIntosh. So Anaya Smith gets motioned out. Now he's in the slot. Who covers him? Things like that. So it's going to be matchups like that that are intriguing. But, you know, Donovan, uh, a lot of you're our resident offensive lineman here. So one program I wanted to talk to you about, and you, and I'll throw the tears back up here. You originally had them down here in the Prove Me Wrong. I said, nah, I got to slide them up here to enjoy the bowl. And the reason is Kentucky has, you know, three guys that could end up being, uh, you know, all American caliber type linemen with that experience. And then a quarterback in Will Levis coming in, you know, when, when you have the experienced offensive line up there, you just talk about it. What's that synergy like when you've been playing with guys for a long time? Yeah, you get into sync, right? And with Will Levis having that, you know, dual threat ability, like we saw a little bit in, you know, in, in, in flashes at Penn State, when you have that, not just, you know, experience at Kentucky's offensive line, but that potential, right, mixed with that experience, you can have good things going on. And I, I could see Kentucky, stink, you know, getting into that bowl game at, you know, seven and five, you know, maybe eight and four if they're lucky, maybe. Um, and so that offensive line is big. And speaking of offensive line, I think one thing you guys are talking about, Texas A&M, what doesn't help, you know, an 18, 19 year old new starting quarterback or, you know, an all worldly duo at running back is the fact that four of their five starters on the offensive line are gone. And basically five of them are gone because I believe the tackle is going into guard. I, I, I'm blanking on his name, but you're basically losing five starters on the offensive line. And so uh, the, the difference, I think, with Kentucky, right, where you talk about the experience and talent um, and the potential mixed together, it could push them up into that second tier. Yeah, and, and we're going to wrap our playoff talk on the SEC and move to the Big 12 here still in our playoff segment. But, guys, I think the most intriguing thing, and Josh, you said it, is that SEC West is an absolute gauntlet. And yeah. Brett told everybody that don't sleep on LSU this year. That was a – that was, you know, COVID, all that kind of stuff that was going on in 2020 that, that had the season out of sorts, uh, coordinator changes, all that. LSU seems to have remedied that in this offseason. I think Max Johnson is going to be an excellent so quarterback for them. Really showed some, some poise and some toughness in that Florida game late in the year last year in his first uh, first start over there. So, you know, look look out for LSU. Like I said, A&M is there. Alabama always there, the standard. But, you know, with Alabama losing as much talent as they ever have in the Saban area off that last year's team, uh, three Heisman Trophy candidates, really. Uh, that's just a lot to to replace, and it shows how good that Alabama program is. But now let's go ahead and talk about, and I think we firmly established there that it, it seems like Georgia and Alabama are the two that were really fighting for playoff spots. And if chaos breaks out, then Georgia and Alabama could potentially both find their way in there, providing a one-loss situation, but it would have to take a lot of chaos uh, out there on the other four because the rest of the country just absolutely hates the SEC with passion, and that is why we are headed towards playoff expansion. But that's a talk for maybe next week. Who knows? What's it going to look like when Texas and Oklahoma joins? It's going to be like an all-SEC uh, all playoff at that point if they don't expand it. Absolutely. So now let's talk about the Big 12. So here are our tiers for the Big 12. And as Brett said, he's got Oklahoma, Iowa State, 1-2. We agree with that. Um, the guys in the middle there, Texas is trying to find relevancy. The only reason I put them up here, Donovan, is because I believe, like Brett Ciancia said, that much in Steve Sarkeesian and his ability to scheme things up. Uh, just from, you know, former offensive lineman and, and, you know, playing college football, how impressed are you with Steve Sarkeesian's ability just to, to, to formation people, motion people out of plays at times? Yeah, I mean, it's impressive, right? And when you can create that kind of, you know, the mismatches, even if you don't have some, of the, sometimes the better personnel is, you know, compared to the defense you're playing, the mismatch and the confusion, uh, it, it creates an ability, especially with the offensive line. A lot of people think a complicated offense, right, means it's complicated to learn for everybody, especially for the offensive line. It's not as complicated as you think, right? It's still their basic zone plays. You know, the the crazy looking RPO, to an offensive lineman, it's it's still the same thing it always been, right? It's it's in the backfield, it's on the edge that it changes. 
And so I'm confident in him, right? And I, I, I agree with your, your tier two ranking of Texas. Um, again, not to say a whole lot about the, the Big 12. Um, I'm not a, you know, big proponent of them. But, you know, I, I see them, you know, in that tier two. And, you know, Oklahoma and Iowa State are obviously the kingpins. But, you know, in that tier two, it's, it's kind of a toss-up who could lead that, you know, second tier. And, and the reason West Virginia drops down in that prove me wrong type category, they just lost so much. Uh, you know, half of their defensive, the defensive backs uh, seemed to transfer out. And, you know, it, it was, it's a tough, tough deal for West Virginia right now. But he talked about Max Duggan at TCU. Josh, uh, you know, anytime you have a guy who is as good of an athlete as Max Duggan, maybe the fastest guy on their team at the quarterback position, and he's in his third year as a starter, that just totally changes the dynamic of your team and the confidence they have. I mean, is it is that kind of the feeling you get with TCU and Gary Patterson? Yeah, with TCU, it's not really ever been about offense. So having that experienced quarterback coming back, like you said, that athletic ability. But if you look at the draft, you know, they're pushing out defensive guys like Brett was talking about, that secondary uh, with Washington and, and Moorg last year. They're reloading. They're just keep pushing more guys out. They had the transfer from Memphis. I believe his name was TJ Carter, one of their leading tacklers last last season. Um, and then they also have uh, Hodges, Thomason, and then Noah Daniels in the secondary. So it helps when you have a good defense. You know, we talk about with Washington, you know, how bad our offense has been, but our defense always bails us out. When you have a defense like that, you can rely on. It takes a lot of stress off of the quarterback. So having him with the experience, with athletic ability he has, and then you have a good defense really backing him up, that can create turnovers and get the ball back and give him more opportunities if he does make a mistake. That's huge. I love Gary Patterson as a head coach, by the way. I, I like what they're doing, and it helps the Big 12's defense. is kind of iffy. So having one of the big, you know, best defenses in the Big 12 certainly helps you out at TCU. So I think we're all in the agreement that really the, the teams to, to watch here, if we want to say uh, the top three in each conference, we're talking it's it's a – it's Alabama, Georgia, A&M, it looks like, in SEC. It looks like Oklahoma, Iowa State, and TCU with an outside shot in the Big 12. Let's go ahead and put on record here to end up our playoff spot, uh, our playoff segment. Everybody go ahead and pick your conference champions and just go ahead and say it. We don't have to do a whole lot of explanation because we've got other segments here, but let's go ahead and say uh, who's going to be the champion in each conference. Who you got? Yeah, yeah I'll lead it off. Uh I, I think I'm going to flip from last week. I'm going to go Georgia as the SEC champion. Uh, mm. Sorry to all the Alabama fans and sorry to Josh. Um, and then Big 12, uh, I'm going to stick with Oklahoma for now, right? I, Iowa State's teetering on the edge, but I'm going to stick with Oklahoma for now. Josh? I'm going to stay true to my colors. I'm going to say Alabama. I think that defense, you know, takes that step with all these young guys coming in. We've seen how they've been in the past. I see a resemblance of these, you know, 2010, 2012 teams on defense. And I'm going, I'm riding this hype train hard with Iowa State. Brees Hall rushed over 1,500 yards last year. They have one of the best quarterbacks coming back, one of the most experienced teams in college football. You don't see that happen. One of the best offensive lines. I can go on and on about this team. They have everything. This is their window of opportunity, and I just don't see Matt Campbell not passing up on that. So Iowa State beats Oklahoma like they did last year. Yeah, Oklahoma and Georgia seem very similar to me as they always find a, a way to lose games that they shouldn't, it seems like. So I agree with you. I think Iowa State will match up with Oklahoma twice. I think they beat them at least once. Uh, yep. And I think that's going to be in the – it probably in the conference championship game because I, I think Matt Campbell and them, that kind of sticks with them, that loss from last year. 20 of 22 starters from last year return. I'm going Iowa State in the Big 12. And then in terms of the SEC, uh, I say until they're proven otherwise, Alabama's the Kings, and you're going to not be able to knock off Alabama until somebody does it. Kirby Smart's yet to do it. I think Georgia and JT Daniels have a lot to prove in order to, to do this. We'll find out a lot about Georgia on September 4th. They do have injuries to Darnell Washington and Tyke Smith. Yet, like I said, Georgia, I, I think from a talent standpoint, having had – three rivals, number one ranked classes consecutively in 2018, 2019, 2020, and then the number five class in 2021. Georgia has more talent and more depth accumulated than anybody. However, can they get over that mental hump against Alabama? I'm going to say until proven otherwise, no, and Alabama is the SEC champions. But 
Now let's go ahead and get in to our Heisman talk. The best. I cut Brett hard off there. I can't, you can't, you can't <laughs> the best there is, the best the there CFB unfiltered screw job. <laughs> yeah, absolutely the screw job in CFB. No, uh, but sorry to the excellence of execution there, Brett Hart, you know, up in Calgary, wherever he's at these days. Um, but in terms of Heisman guys, you know, looking at odds on different, different uh, betting sites, things like that today, I was kind of scrolling through. It seems like, the odds on favorites, and we'll go Big 12 first. I'm going to break it down Big 12 versus SEC. Spencer Rattler, Brees Hall, Brock Purdy, and Bajon Robinson are the kind of top four guys that are getting any kind of recognition. I just think that Spencer Rattler is by far and away the most one just because of the video game numbers that uh, Lincoln Riley's quarterbacks throw out. But go ahead. Somebody try to make the case to prove me wrong of why it could be one of these other guys. Look, I said it a minute ago, Brees Hall. How many times do you see a running back over 1,500 yards last season with the kind of offense they had? Like, they had Brock Purdy. They had Charlie Cole. Like, he wasn't the only option for Iowa State. So, being able to put that production up when you have such a loaded team, you can say it hurts you because you can get lost in all the, the, the scores and the stats with the padding and everything. But I agree with you. It's Spencer Rattler's race to lose. He's clearly a favorite, but don't get caught up. In Hollywood, don't get caught up in the shoes. Don't get caught up in the NIL deals because Bryce Hall will literally run right past him in the Heisman race if he doesn't watch out. Yeah, I'll, I'll play devil's advocate here. I'll go, I'll go Brock Purdy, right? So I, I, I like what you're saying with, with Bryce Hall, but I think Brock Purdy, you know, there's a lot of hype going into him last year, right? A lot of talk could he be a first-round quarterback, you know, going after his junior year. And I think that, not, I don't want to say pressure, but the, the kind of – the expectations that he has and the potential that that team has with the loaded roster, right? I think he has got a chance to step up to the task. And if he does and kind of prove himself of what a lot of people thought he was going to be, you know, going into his junior year, then he could kind of out, he could outshine Brees Hall a little bit. And I think if that happens, if the quarterback, you know, and the running back are both, you know, all worldly players, but the quarterback, you know, is outshining, you know, on the big stage, the quarterback's usually going to be the favorite for the Heisman finalist. Yeah, we had a couple of uh, comments here that I want to address going back, you know, before we get to our SEC, Hasman. We had Sam Kim saying, if LSU has remedied last year's problems, then why is Vegas only favoring LSU by four versus the Bruins? Well, Sam, they're favoring them by four on the road. Usually the road is good enough for three points. So that really means they think LSU is really about a touchdown favorite. So, you know, I think uh, out in Pasadena and people have to give credit that Chip Kelly's program is really starting to show some improvement out there. So I think if you're favored on the road out there, you're definitely a high favorite. And then Chris Woods, Josh, he says Oklahoma, Georgia, Ohio State, North Carolina. Really? He doesn't agree with Brock thing. He says straighten them out. I think Josh has already tried to straighten them out. I said that I think Alabama wins SEC so we can move on from there. And guys, speaking of the SEC Heisman candidates, we came up with a list of JT Daniels, Bryce Young, Isaiah Spiller, and Matt Corral. Quarterback dominated there. I think Matt Corral will have the best numbers of any of those guys. I, I just don't think that Ole Miss will have the record to because that has that matters to Heisman voters. Maybe it shouldn't. You know, uh, Lamar Jackson was able to win with that Louisville team that was nowhere yep. near in the title picture. But what are your guys' opinions? Who sticks out to you in the SEC Heisman candidates? I, mean, I agree with you. Um, and then, of course, having Lane Kiffin being the offensive genius he is. Um, like Brett mentioned, they have Ely. They have Snoop also. Great running back duo. Um, I think he'll put up more video game numbers. But can he just be consistent? Or is he going to play like he did against Arkansas last season and just go off the rails? You have to see. He can't have one slip-up game where it's like, oh, you know, he kind of cost him that game. We needed him to step up that game, and he didn't. So, obviously, I want to say Bryce Young. But I, I'm going to agree with you. I think Matt Corral has an opportunity to. Um, but JT Daniels, he's he's right down the outside. I think he's third right now in Vegas um, in the best odds for Heisman, and I think he's going to show why. Yeah, I, I, I'll i take – I think – I know he's got the third best odds in Vegas, JT Daniels. But I think of all the Heisman candidates, he might be the one with the best odds to win it in the SEC, and I'll tell you why. 
you know, Matt Corral, Ole Miss, he might have otherworldly numbers, but if Ole Miss isn't kind of knocking on the door of, you know, a, a nine-win season, I don't know if he ends up being a finalist. I know there's been other, you know, players in the past that have been on, you know, those kind of level of teams that have made it. Uh, Isaiah Spiller at Texas A&M, again, I think there's a lot of good players in the SEC that, you know, he may do well, but I think he's going to get outshined a little bit. And Bryce Young, quarterback Alabama. I think of the big three, Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama, he is the least likely to succeed of those three. I'm not saying he's going to be successful, but I think he's the least likely. And that leaves you with JT Daniels, right? Of those, you know, uh, between him and Bryce Young, he's more experienced, he's more proven. I think he's my favorite for the SEC as the Heisman finalist. Bryce Young is uber talented. I mean, he's he's unbelievably talented. I'm not sure he can ride all the roller coasters at Universal no. Studios. I don't know if he's tall enough <laughs> yet. But we'll see. I just Love don't know if the young man has uh, the size to last in a SEC season. I, again, I wish no ill will upon him. I hope he stays healthy as can be all season. But it is a physical league, and when you are that small, it, it's really worrisome. The only reason I don't think JT Daniels will win the Heisman is because I think Georgia has a under-the-radar player that really no one nationally is talking about, but everyone in Georgia knows what's about to happen with Kendall Milton. Kendall Milton is the next superstar in the SEC, and, and my prediction is he will overtake Zamir White and James Cook in short order before things go here. I, I really think that, that Kendall Milton is – I mean, he's a – He's in the same ilk of a of a Nick Chubb type runner, the same ilk of uh, a Noshawn Marino type runner that just runs with reckless abandon and and is really tough to bring down. And I think that's going to prevent JT Daniels from kind of putting him because once Kirby Smart sees Kendall Milton slashing through, he'll be like, "Oh, run that rock, monkey! Let's keep, <laughs> let's keep running it." So that that's how that's going to turn out. I I think I think Bryce Young's definitely definitely the the favorite, but I would also. Uh, show some some love to, and a lot of people aren't talking about this. Ed Orgeron is going to sling that thing around, and he's got the lefty and Max Johnson. Max Johnson could be a sleeper, guys. I'm telling you, the guy has no conscience whatsoever. He's like a he's like a three point shooter. Uh, you know, he's he's out there shooting like James Harden. He doesn't care. He's going to pull up from wherever. And Max sometimes Johnson, that's not a good thing. <laughs> yeah, Max, yeah, Max Johnson is going to throw some picks this year, but they are not going to be scared to throw the football. So that, that could be a little sleeper pick for you here. Um, but now let's go ahead and move on to the big three. Big three. Okay, guys, so here in the big three, we took the best three games from the Big 12, the best three games from the SEC. I'll kind of introduce these games to you, and then you, you guys kind of take turns telling us what you think about them. I think one game that stands out to me, and we've talked about it, alluded to it already, Alabama and A&M, October 9th in College Station. Mm -hmm. Donovan, I'm going to let you answer because Josh is already sweating this thing over there. Donovan, what, uh, what do you think with Alabama visiting the Aggies? I think Texas A&M in this game is going to have every opportunity to prove me wrong, right? I think they're being they're they're getting a little uh, overrated, like I said, you know, in the media and within Texas A&M fans. They're going to have every opportunity. It's a home game, right? They're going to have a loaded defense against a young and, like you said, small, you know, un undersized quarterback. They're going to have every opportunity to prove that they belong you know, in that tier one uh, with the SEC. Uh, I don't think they're going to do it, um, but they, they're going to have every opportunity to prove me wrong, and I'm excited to see if they can do that. Josh? Yeah, I, I agree. This is one of the games playing at College Station. Every every time we do it, it always makes you nervous because that's one of the most electric stadiums to be at. It is always jumping, the fans being back. That's huge for them. This is one of the games we kind of wish you played them early in the season. I think we played them like, close to the end of October, middle of October. Yeah, October 9th. October yeah. 9th. So, about so you – weeks in. Yeah, so you really – that's one I'm like, man, I wish we had him in like a week or two earlier. It's where Hayden King, he's not settled in yet. He's just getting thrown to the wolves to that defense. So, I think they'll have enough time to prep for it, but I, I don't think it'll be enough. I think Alabama wins that one. I'd like to see – I think the spread's going to be probably at about eight and a half by the time the game comes around, and I would take Alabama. Then you have Florida at LSU on October 16th. 
My only question is how many extra cleats are going to be brought into that stadium by people there at, uh, in Death Valley where they're just going to throw cleats around because of the, the misfortune that Florida had where they had one of their players lose train of thought and throw the cleat, give LSU the chance, go down, ruin Florida's playoff hopes with a long field goal. I'm just really looking forward to seeing that matchup. I think it's going to be two offenses that are absolutely wide open. Uh, Emory Jones doing more uh, through the run game and Max Johnson throwing the ball. Um, but I'm just excited about that. That was a week after the Alabama-Texas A&M game, and it's got huge playoff implications, guys. I mean, uh, LSU, uh, if they if they bounce back like Brett uh, from Brett Siancia from Pixit Previews thinks, they could be right there in it when it comes time for them to play Alabama. Yeah, Copeland versus Stingley Jr. You can't talk about LSU without talking about Derek Stingley. But they're saying might have a shot at being at the Heisman odds. I say if he does, it's only because Devontae Smith's not here anymore. So that's going to be a good matchup. A lot of pressures on Copeland, though. Like you said, uh, with Pitts leaving, with Kadarius Toney leaving, all that production's gone. He's got to step up and really take over and help out Emory Jones. And then, Donovan, I'm going to let you talk about this next one. It's a matchup of the big boys up front in terms of Kentucky's offensive line versus Georgia's defensive front, both extreme, you know, strengths of those teams. And you know Kentucky's going to want to run the football with Chris Rodriguez. Georgia has Jordan Davis, Devontae Wyatt up front. What You know, those are the kind of matchups as offensive linemen you dream of, right? Yeah, it's an absolute battle in the trenches. And like Brett mentioned, you know, the culture at Kentucky is set is set in place there, right? They have a rock-solid foundation. And so it's not like they're going into Georgia, which is obviously going to be a crazy atmosphere, a crazy environment, and, you know, assuming Georgia's where we think they're going to be highly ranked at that time of the season. They're not going to go in there afraid and, you know, kind of trying to figure out, okay, what do we do? What do we do? Kentucky knows they have that mindset, and it applies to the O-line there as well. That, that trench unit I really do like. And I think it's going to be a great matchup between Kentucky O-line, Georgia D-line. Hey, Kentucky produced six NFL draft picks this past year. They, they, they know that they, they belong. They just were a quarterback away from being able to play, guys, with some of these bigger, bigger teams because they have talent everywhere else that they've really developed. Much like uh, Brett Siancia said, TCU is a developmental program. Mark Stoops and Kentucky are a developmental program. And speaking – of TCU. Now let's get to the Big 12 best three games. We'll go with the first one being TCU at Oklahoma on October 16th. You know, mm. TCU, that that tough, gritty defense that Gary Patterson brings, a experienced quarterback in Max Duggan. Max Duggan. Josh, is this, you know, I said Oklahoma and Georgia are known for losing games they shouldn't. Is, is this where Oklahoma slips up on October 16th? Yeah, and it's not a new trend that when Oklahoma does lose, it's to teams who have good defenses. They've lost uh, Iowa State in the past when they were really rebuilding with Matt Campbell. Really good defense. And, and Spencer Rattler, if you're looking at that second year, like, man, like it, they just keep coming. These guys are nonstop. They're, like you said, they're draft picks all over the place on defense. So I think it's it's one of those games where it might have a little upset bubbling, but if you're Spencer Rattler, you're going to be on your A game. If not, you might accidentally slip up that one. All right, and how about TCU at Iowa State, Donovan? Mm. We've talked about Iowa State being the maybe my favorite to win the Big 12, Josh's favorite to win the Big 12. Uh, but TCU, here again, if they get that confidence, you know, go into Oklahoma, potentially upset them, uh, what's going to stop them from thinking they could go into Ames and, and upset Ohio's Iowa State? Yeah, I think it's interesting. You know, when you look at TC versus Oklahoma, kind of the electric offense of Oklahoma and Iowa State is more of a, you know, it, it's 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 so solid in terms of they're bringing all 11 starters back. Right. And they have, you know, they know all those players know that offense down to a notch. And it's I don't want to say it's they have electric players. Right. Don't get me wrong. Brees Hall and Brock Purdy. But it's not electric like Oklahoma. So I'm curious to see kind of that rock solid offensive scheme, offensive players versus TCU's, you know, well, you know, great foundation defense. I, I'm curious to that matchup. I, I would be more confident in Iowa State versus TCU, I think, than I would be Oklahoma against TCU. Yeah, and then also a interesting schedule thing backing up six days. So TCU at Iowa State is on November 26th. Well, only six days before that, Iowa State has to play Oklahoma. That's the big matchup mm. that we talked about November 20th. So, go, so Iowa State 
in Oklahoma. We've already broke that down and said kind of the matchup there, but I just wanted to point out, I think it's interesting that Iowa State will have one day short week when they get done playing Oklahoma and go on to TCU. So those are kind of our big three games for each, guys, and we, we do think oh, Iowa State and Oklahoma are going to play twice. But now let's get to our matchups to end things up here on the show. Go back, Going back to the SEC, guys, I've got my first matchup. I think that it's going to be very intriguing in that College Station game uh, for Alabama and Texas A&M to see Alabama's linebacking core, which is probably the best in the country, go up against the Texas A&M offensive line and running back unit, which Jimbo Fisher is very, very happy with going into this year. Yeah, Chris Allen, Shane Lee, Henry Toto. It's a lot. It's a lot of big guys. I think Chris Allen led the SEC in tackles for loss last year too. So these guys are stepping up. I'm ready for it. Just talk about it. it gets me pumped. I love watching defenses, linebackers. Always been one of my favorite positions. So we just seem to keep pumping these guys out. Got my guy Mac Wilson behind me here in the jersey. So I think someone's gonna step up. I'm ready for some football. Donovan, when you have a team like a Jimbo Fisher's team, uh, more of a West Coast style, they're going to throw the thing uh, horizontally instead of trying to go more vertical down the field. They're going to get people running side to side. So that tires out the the defensive lineman they have to pursue. And then as an offensive lineman, once those guys are sucking wind and you're able to get that vertical push in the running game, uh, it's got to be a matchup that, that Texas A&M feels pretty good about. Yeah, and I think when you get those defensive linemen tired, right, we're going to see – you know, we're going to see a great matchup because when that, when those defensive linemen get tired out, we're going to see Alabama's, you know, very good linebackers, like you mentioned, Josh versus Texas A&M's, you know, all worldly duo. And that is, I think in itself is between those two, because when the defensive linemen get tired, you kind of eliminate them, you know, from that moment in the game, right. And the offensive line, usually when the defensive linemen are tired, the offensive line tends to just, you know, plow through you know plow through them as the game goes on and so i'm i'm int- i'm intrigued to see that running back deal versus the alabama linebacking core yeah will anderson has to close off the edge and help out the linebacker you can't yeah. let it go wide like you're talking about dj dale uh Fildarius mathis up in the middle there got to clog up some holes and stop that run game yeah then you mentioned Derek stingley jr earlier josh i got him versus john mechie slash ajay hall they're mm. going to move Derek Stingley around to whoever's hurting him. They're going to try to put him on there. I know he plays corner, but he can go in and play nickel. He can do all that kind of stuff. I think him against those top two receivers this year for Alabama is going to be a very intriguing matchup. Yeah, and once he's on one side, that opens up for a guy like Slade Bolden, who's our little slot weapon. Uh, I expect him to have a bigger role too. But John Mechie, I think he's just poised for a big season. Um, then you got the juice man who uh, – transferred over from Ohio State, another speedster who can just kill you deep. So if you're Stingley, you see Devontae Smith go to the NFL, you're like, all right, I feel a little bit better. But a Jaya Hall, another one of those guys who are just going to kill you. Watch the spring game and the crazy catches he was having. You're like, come on, this guy just graduated from high school. There's no way. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Donovan kind of stole the thunder earlier on this last one, Georgia's front seven versus Kentucky's OL and RB. So we've already – talked about that one so kind of for expedient purposes here we'll move on to the best matchups in the big 12 to end up the show here and but guys before we do that i i, I almost forgot again wanted to thank 365 sports and uh for the the platform here and also say watch the hard count with jd pickell on 365 sports subscribe to the channel guys jd former player at Cornell and Baylor, now in the media spotlight doing his thing. So make sure to uh, watch JD and his show going on. And we really, really uh, appreciate 365 being able to allow us to have this YouTube platform. And now we're going to end up with the big three matchups of the year for the Big 12. Alex Grinch, the Oklahoma defensive coordinator, versus Steve Sarkeesian, the offensive wizard and head coach of Texas A&M. I am, as a football junkie, guys, I want to DVR that game and just watch what is going to go on with that kind of amoeba speed defense they have. Everybody standing up, running to the ball, and, and Steve Sarkeesian motioning like crazy before. Uh, how excited are you guys to see that, that matchup? Yeah, I think it's going to be yeah. a great matchup. I mean, you Brett talked a lot about you know the improvement of Oklahoma's defense. 
but Sark is over there with just a brilliant offensive system, right? And again, an elite running back, you know, as we think in college football, that that game, the score might not reflect how well the Oklahoma defense plays, right? Or, you know, vice versa, just because of the nature of the Big 12 in terms of the high, you know, the high, uh, high scoring matchups. I'm really excited to see that battle of the brains between those two coordinators and the players ultimately. Yeah, well, the Grinch Steel offense, that's going to be the headline. And don't <laughs> sleep on, you know, we talked about uh, Bajon Robinson, but Keelan Robinson, transfer from Alabama, he's a firecracker. So don't be surprised if Sark puts in some fresh legs and he just busts one loose. Yeah, guys, speaking of the Oklahoma defense, Nick Benito, a edge defender, uh, kind of that hybrid OLB. They can stack him in the box sometimes. He really gets after the passer. And Donovan, this is right in your wheelhouse. He's going up against a six foot eight, 325 pound red shirt senior in Sean Foster. I'm excited to see that big behemoth of a man who has played a lot of football for Iowa State be able to go up against a All American in Nick Benito. Yeah, I think it's going to be a, it's going to be a, an underrated battle that obviously won't get talked a lot about, right? Because it's just nature of the the O line versus the D line matchups. A lot of times you don't have that that big name guy, but a guy who's 6'8", 325, again, a fifth year senior who's playing for the chance to win a national championship as a fifth year senior is probably, I wouldn't be surprising. He's probably one of the captains of the team, right? He is going out there again, like you said, an all American pass rusher. I'm very curious to see how much, you know, how much I mean, it really comes down to pride, right? Iowa state has been down there down this road for a while. And I know that left tackle, yeah, uh, Sean Foster is thinking the same, and he's gonna he's gonna play. I think he's gonna play a little bit of chip on his shoulder. I'm excited to see it. And then last one, we got Travius Hodges Tomlinson. You touched on him earlier, Josh. He's the All American cornerback for TCU, a guy that that people are projecting to play really well, even though he's only five nine in the in the NFL. Kind of be that that honey badger type player, you know, just a guy who really gets after you. And then he going up against the Mr. Everything wide receiver for Oklahoma, Marvin Mims. How much are you how much are you looking forward to seeing the tenaciousness of Hodges Tomlinson versus the playmaking ability of Marvis, Marvin Mims? Yeah, size don't mean nothing when you got heart. I mean, you see a lot of athletes, you know, balling out regardless of their size. But I'm excited about that because I think Mims is one of those sleeper wide receivers in the Big 12. It's gonna have a huge season too. That's going to be Spencer Rattler's go-to weapon. So he's going to look heavy at him, and it's definitely – that to me is what can really decide this game is if that defense can stop these weapons of Marvin Mims. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if TCU pumps out a couple more DBs in the first, second round, and we're going to be talking about a couple more, especially like, uh, Noah in the back uh, backfield too. So Absolutely. Thank you so much to everyone who has watched the show. This is episode two here of College Football Unfiltered. Do us a favor. Go ahead and hit subscribe on the uh on the 365 youtube channel 365 sports youtube channel turn on notifications they've got live content every day like i said jd pickels the hard counts on there they have a live show every day that lasts like three hours so many so much content going on and then on the believe podcast network just search cfb unfiltered you can find us on apple podcast spotify uh google podcast any platform and of course on art 19. So thank you so much for joining. And this has been a, another edition of CFB unfiltered. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.